0: The Dungeon Master says you may move five spaces. Then what? The Dungeon Master says you will go missing in the tunnels of Michigan State University and never be found. There are tunnels? The Dungeon Master says don't ask questions for which he could be held liable." Does the school know about this? The Dungeon Master says not officially, but yes, but you didn't hear it from me.
1: Will people come find me? The
0: Dungeon Master says the school can't
1: get involved. Can I still play Dungeons and Dragons down there? The
0: Dungeon Master says your disappearance will cause D&D to have a bad reputation and begin the satanic panic. What's that? The Dungeon Master says listen to This Was a Thing and find out.
2: This was a thing, this was a thing,
1: this was a thing Do you remember Patty Hearst's kidnapping? This was a thing, pretty much, Atari Deep Throat Roots and Ted Bundy Hanoi Jane, Celebrity Bullying
2: Bobby,
1: Blackout, and, Paul, Litton, and Marie, Rich Little and Billie Jean This was a thing. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. Today, we are doing a deep dive into the Dungeons
0: and Dragon murder. Oh. Ooh. Okay, now, folks, this was a thing because it was one of the first times that a game was to blame for the death of a child. And not just any game, a satanic game, a game that came from the bowels of hell to turn your children into devil-worshipping monsters engaging in cannibalism. Why are you still sitting there? Get your child somewhere safe like (sighs) Patreon.com, where you can become a proud sponsor of this was a thing. <laughs> so so in order to get a grasp on today's episode, we need to first start off by exploring a game called Dungeons and Dragons, which is also a gay club in Rochester. Rochester. <laughs> Jack Betty's Benny's... Wrong. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Now, the game came out in 1974, and if you've never played, don't worry, the rules do not affect at all today's episode. So if you've never played, don't worry about it. So it's a tabletop role-playing game. And the objective being to get more points than anyone over a series of games by working together with your fellow journeymen. Now, it's not a one-and-done-like Monopoly. This game, much like my ex, doesn't forget. <laughs> so unlike other warlike games, because the, the inventors of this game were inspired by, like, strategy games with war and stuff. Stratego. Um, Stratego. You are an independent entity and you can create your own character and go on adventures. That's beautiful. Thank you. Now, there is always in your game a dungeon master, a person who is the referee and storyteller and he can, or she, can follow the rules or make up their own, and when people communicate with each other, they do so in character. Now, because the game had magic, Christian groups didn't want their kids playing this game. I mean, because this game was about listening to some man and doing everything he said, and then following very specific rules and weird things happen. Not normal people like living in Wales,
1: you know? Yeah, like none, no magic in the New Testament. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it promoted celebrating the occult. Some even went so far as to say kids were having trouble separating the reality and fantasy elements of the game, sometimes even going down a Psychotic path. Just look what happened in Michigan. Yes, in 1979, an avid D&D player went missing from Michigan State University, a player who might have been under the influence of a dungeon master. So scary and intense, he might have lost his life for the game. So, folks, this is a true crime one today. So we're going to talk a little bit about the student, the victim. His name is James Dallas Egbert III. He's a child prodigy. His IQ ranged between like 170 to 190. He excelled in academics, but he struggled in socialization. His parents, this is so sad, his parents wrote him. Really hard to keep up his good grades. And he did such a good job that at the age of 16, he enrolled in Michigan State University. Dang. There he is. He's doing his classes. And he decides to stay there over the summer and take some summer classes. He has, like, no friends. Like, literally no friends, except this one girl named Karen. On August 15th, he gets some snacks with his friend Karen. And then he leaves her dorm and disappears into thin air. Now, his parents live in Ohio, and on August 20th, they get a call from the school, the school that promised they would protect him as a minor, because remember, he's 16 years old, to say, he's missing. And he went missing five days ago. Oh, Jesus. But don't worry. They're working on it. Yeah. Oh, and, and who broke the story, by the way? The student newspaper. So two days of nothing goes by, and when the Egberts are like... What is going on over there? We're going to hire our own private investigator and they hire a guy. This guy's a character. His name's William deer. (laughs) The guy is like this big PI in Texas. He's got fucking planes, serious planes, helicopters, computers, bugging equipment, guns. Jeez. And he's always bragged. And who knows if it's true or not? He's like, I've never not found someone. If someone has gone missing, I have found them. He's like, I will go up to Michigan. I'll find your son. But he's like, I want to get a sense of the parents first. So he talks to the parents, and he realizes really early on, dad is like as meek and can be. And mom is a real asshole, saying, one the last time she spoke to her son, he was so excited because he got like a 3.5 in a class. And she's like, it should have been a 4.0. So on August 29th, Deer arrives at the Red Roof Inn in East Lansing and sets up shop, which I'm sure all the other guests loved. I need a power strip. Hey, excuse me. Room 6. You ever use a penknife? There's a kid missing. He's the dungeon master. They can't play the game till he gets back. The game is on
1: hold. The journey is not complete. <laughs> this poor hotel.
0: Anyway, so he gets three associates to come up with him. Here are some names you'll love: Dick Riddle. He's <laughs> he's a, oh Jesus. I'm sorry. He's a former police lieutenant. James Hawk is like the muscle of the group, and a guy named Frank Lambert who's down for anything. I'm down for anything. <laughs> now they're all sitting in the hotel room, and they go, well, "What do you think happened to to?" Dallas Egbert and they're like it's one of four things it's either he killed himself he he was killed he was kidnapped or he's chosen to run away they decide to take a bet on it and write down what they think happened, put it up in an envelope, and at the end of the case, Deer is going to open it and see who won. So while this is going on, folks, remember a minor is missing. He yes, he's in college, but he's a minor. And the school and the students seem to be under like a gag order because no one is willing to talk to Deer about Egbert. So the team starts to spread out and see what they can find. The first place they go is the kid's dorm room. He lived by himself, and it's literally crying out in clues. The room is immaculate. It's almost like it's being like shown off as a model. And the mom says that James or Dallas, he has like James Dallas Egbert. I'll call it Dallas or Egbert. Mom says that Dallas is a real slob and nothing was ever clean in his room. Jeez, Mom's okay. kind of hard on this kid. There's a stack of papers on his desk. It's all of his poems, which are all morbid and about death. And on top of the poem is a handwritten note. And the note says, to whom it may concern... Should my body be found, I wish it to be cremated. But the big clue, oh ho, ho ho ho. In front of his stereo, propped up on a chair, is a cork board with 38 blue and white pushpins in the oddest of formations. And when you look at the pushpins, it kind of looked like a gun. And then they looked at it again, like, it's not that. It kind of looks like an aerial view of this power plant on campus. Like, what the fuck did this mean? And so Deer is like, it's almost like Egbert has gone to kill himself and he's saying, come find me. But the room is totally clean, there's no blood. The building is constructed in a way that there is not a chance anyone can sneak in or sneak out without being noticed. So if he was killed, if he was killed, didn't happen here. But like, why is the room so clean? And what the fuck does this bulletin board mean? So slowly people start to open up about Dallas and the case takes a few twists and turns. Turn number one. Apparently Dallas was a massive druggie and was always high. And because he was really good at science and chemistry, he made his own PCP in his room.
1: Wow. So now the
0: question is, is like, well, was he killed or kidnapped over a drug thing? Yeah. Then another friend tells Deer Dallas is bisexual and he's been having sex with various men in Lansing. He's a member of the gay council, which really freaks out the council because they go, "Oh my god, if this gay ki- if this gay kid goes missing, and gay people are responsible for it in some way, shape, or form, they're going to shit all over us." And you have to remember this was at a time where gays had just started to get some rights, but yeah. still not fully out just yet. So maybe. He killed himself because he was ashamed of being gay, or maybe he was kidnapped by like a chicken hawk, or he was killed by a council member to stay quiet. Do you know what a chicken hawk yeah, is? Yeah, I was going to say chicken hawk. It's an older man who takes in younger men. Got it. But then remember the suicide note that they found on top of the desk? Mm-hmm. It's not his handwriting. Of course not. So then who the hell wrote the note? Yet here was some really big news Deer found out that Dallas was really into Dungeons and Dragons really into it. And Dallas would always take on the role of magic user. Now, this is the weakest of the players, but if smart, can become the most powerful. He's unable to wear armor, so he always travels with someone. So you have to remember, D&D came out in 74. This is 79. It wasn't a national phenomenon. No No one really knew about it, and this is what's gonna put it out into the forefront. So after Deer found out that this guy was into Dungeons & Dragons, He goes back to his hotel room and he gets a phone call from a person who's refusing to be identified. And the reason everyone is being cagey with Deer, this is what the person is telling him, the reason everyone's being cagey with you is because the people Dallas played with, they're students and teachers. And they don't play at a table. They play in the tunnels. 8.5 miles of tunnels, actually. You see, underneath the entire campus of Michigan, The college, there was a series of labyrinth tunnels that held steam pipes, no electricity. Now, the school says no one can get into the tunnels. Tunnels are totally safe. They're not because kids on cold days would go and travel around campus underneath the tunnel. So the school knew about it. And there are three points of entry into these tunnels. One of them is in Dallas's dorm building. Of course. So you can go in and out of the tunnel without being seen. So, Deer once again goes to the school and is like, Can we go look at these tunnels? And the school's like, Nope, nope, can't give you access to the tunnels. No access to the tunnels. Now, Deer did not know much about Dungeons and Dragons, but he knew role playing and escapism was involved. So, when Deer walked into the Red Roof Inn, he was attacked by a ton of reporters, like desperate for leads. Now, Deer wanted to protect the child, right? Because we don't know if he's dead, we don't know if he's no, alive, yeah, we don't yeah. know if he's been kidnapped. And he felt that if he if he answered the reporter's questions in a logical way, it might have triggered the captors. If he was like, hey, we think he's been kidnapped, the kidnappers might panic and kill the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he needs to find a way to deflect. And at the same time, he wants to protect the gay angle on all of this because he doesn't want to tip off anyone in that community. So he basically says to the reporters, quote, You have a dungeon master. He designs the characters. Someone is put into the dungeon, and it is up to him to get out. In some instances, when a person plays the game, you actually leave your body and go out of your mind. Now, he did not believe that. He had no basis for it. He was trying to come up with a way to get the reporters off of his ass, And not tip off what the real investigation was going to be about. Well, that's all the press needed to hear. And soon, Dungeons and Dragons is the devil. You see, this kid is probably dead because of it. And here's some of the headlines that came out. Because now this was a national story. Missing youth could be on Adventure Game. Is missing student victim of game? Intellectual fantasy results in bizarre disappearance. Student may have lost his life to intellectual fantasy game and my favorite, Student fear Dead in Dungeon. There was a convention in Wisconsin of 100 people or so on the 19th of August, all playing Dungeons and Dragons, but no one was sure that they saw Dallas. Maybe they didn't see Dallas. And wait, who's in the window of Deer's hotel room? Why, it's the mysterious woman in the red Vega car, of course. Oh, yes. Now there's a woman who shows up in a red Vega car that keeps peering into his window, and every time Deer goes out to talk to her, she runs away. Deer needed to know what it was like to play Dungeons & Dragons. So what are the rules? Maybe those rules will give him a clue. Now, who to teach him? Well, he finds two guys, a senior and a sophomore, to play with him in his hotel room at the Red Roof Inn. The senior (laughs) will be the dungeon master, and Luis, the sophomore, will play with Deer. Oh, and they get to pick names for themselves. So Louise picked the name Tor, and Bill Deere chose the name Dan. <laughs> so Deere, the detective, he starts off bored as fuck. Then he really gets into it and has like an emotional catharsis. <laughs> and he's like, I've never felt so free. He could have gone all night, but Louise had a midterm. <laughs> Dear is like now getting the appeal of why a kid who hated his life wanted to escape. But even Egbert was not allowed to play. Apparently... People would play down in the tunnels with costumes and props, and people were so annoyed by Egbert, they told him, don't come back, don't play with us. So this kid is even more isolated. Got it. And this is also, I have to be very clear, it's not how you play Dungeons and Dragons. It's done at a table. So whatever these people were doing down in the tunnels was not at all the This is tunnels and dragons. I got some more peeps for you. Okay. Deer, who now only wants to be called Dan, friend of Tor, finds (laughs) out- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Another investigator, unbeknownst to him, has shown up on campus. His name is Don Gillitzer. So Deer goes to him and finds out that Gillitzer is from New York. He's a private investigator and he's gay. He came to Michigan on his own dime and wants to help. And Deer is like, well, what do you want in return? I can't pay you. And he's like, I don't. Don is like, I don't want anything. I just want to meet the kid when he comes out. So I think for this guy, he was reading about in the papers and like, this is a gay kid in trouble. And he told the detectives, he's like, listen, I can go to gay places, like the bars and the bathhouses. No, yeah. And he's like, I'll get information that you won't get. So Deer is like, great, welcome aboard. Then there was a guy named Cliff Parody who was 19 years old. He loves Dungeons and Dragons and sees himself in Dallas. And he shows up on his own dime and is like, I want to be here because I see myself in this kid. Also, if this is a prank, then this is going to be the Super Bowl of Dungeons and Dragons and I cannot miss it. All of these people are like getting involved, but still, there's no permission from the school about going into the tunnels. Here's the tea. That's so crazy. Well, the school didn't want to be held accountable because things kept getting stolen from dorm rooms and women were being assaulted. Of course. And it was because people kept sneaking into these dorm rooms through Through the the unsecured tunnel. Yeah. So Deer had enough (laughs) and he literally by himself broke into the tunnel. And he was like, he goes, I've ne-, he goes, I don't get scared. He goes, I was scared shitless because it's totally dark. It's 8.9 miles. And I'm sure you just hear the drips of water and shit. And he said what scared him more than anything is when, you know, the pipe goes enough steam, it, give, it gives off. A person. Oh, yeah. He, was, he said he was walking, and all of a sudden, steam just shot right into his face and scalded him because so it's terrifying down there. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. But
0: when he goes down there, he's like, I am convinced Dallas was here or he'd been down there at some point. Finally, after putting enough pressure like out in the press, and because now it's a national story, the school was like, okay, we'll allow you and the police to search the tunnels. So after 20 days of this kid being missing, after 20 days- That's insane. They finally get to go down and explore the tunnels, and they're just about to give up when Deer spots a small little room, about 10 by 12, and he goes into it, and there's evidence someone has been living there. There's a milk carton, there's cheese and cracker wrappers, there's a blanket. But who's down there? Was it Dallas? Was it a homeless person? Was it Splinter? (laughs) There was a pizza box. Now, this is where the case literally comes to a fork in the road. Because not only is Red Vega going to pop up again, but Deer gets another phone call, a muffled phone call saying, quote, I know where Dallas is. But the lines are tapped so i'll only tell you if you go back to texas because i feel safer talking to you on the phone when you're in texas not in michigan deer is like get the fuck out you crank he goes prove to me you know where dallas is and the caller says did you find the milk carton did you find the cheese and cracker wrappers did you find the blanket so deer hops on a plane to texas but before he goes, his associates who've been canvassing the gay bar say anytime Dallas's name is brought up, the patrons get quiet and not like, a, oh, I don't know who he is. Just like nobody talk. So when Deer is in Texas waiting for the stranger to call him, Cliff Perotti, remember the 19 year old? He turns into fucking Magnum P.I. all of a sudden and he befriends the red Vega lady <laughs> who turns out to be Cindy Hulliberg, And she says to Cliff, I know where Dallas was. But people don't want me speaking to you. And I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. My life is on the line. But here's what I can tell you. He had a mental breakdown where he was really strung out. He's been moved from house to house to house. But those people that have been housing him, they want to promise they won't be prosecuted before they talk to anyone. And at this point, he's either going to be killed or released. And I don't know which. Oh, my God. 30 days. This kid has been missing now for 30 days when at 1245 a.m. in Texas. Deer's phone rings. He picks up, and on the other end, he hears, Mr. Deer, this is Dallas Egbert. I got the chills. Deer jumps up, and he begins to talk to Dallas, who is sobbing uncontrollably. And Deer hears someone in the back giving him instructions, and Dallas says, I'm going to call you back, Mr. Deer. And Deer says, listen, before you call me back, please call your parents, because they're very worried about you. And Dallas is like, nope, not talking to them, and hung up the phone. 3 o'clock a.m., second phone call comes in. It's Dallas. He's not saying where he is. But Deer is like, there's something, I will say this. I think there's something very sweet about this really gruff detective. Because I think he sees this really vulnerable kid and wants to help him. And on the second phone call, he just says to him, listen, a lot of people love you. I've never met you. And I love you. And a lot of people are worried about you. And if you come out of this, I promise you can come help me set up my computer. Like he's just trying to build a relationship, but I think it's genuine. No, yeah. I think it's actually genuine. I think he sees what that kid's life was well, like.
1: And I'm not going to lie. I, this is like, I'm sure having that moment of realizing the like dungeons and dragons, I'm sure really like it helped probably open his mind a little bit yeah. to like understand, you know what I mean? And I don't know. I, I feel like that had to have been experienced said like it really affected him that way.
0: I think so. Right. Right, I mean, here is a kid that nobody sure, yeah, nobody wanted, not even the parents. I mean, I mean, the fact that the mom is like riding this fucking kid. So, anyway, ten a.m. It's the last phone call. Dallas tells Deer, "I am in Morgan City, Louisiana. It's a long way from Michigan." He tells Deer, "I want you to go to a at five o'clock today. I want you to go to a specific street corner. Wait ten minutes. Then you are going to see this building. You'll walk into the building." go into this room, and I'll be there. And he hung up. Okay, it's 10 a.m. It's a few hours by plane from Dallas, Texas to Morgan City, Louisiana. It's too long to drive. So they'll take a plane, except Hurricane Frederick is coming. Oh, no. Flights are grounded. Well, fuck the hurricane. Deer did not want to let him down, so he and his associates took all these weird, wild routes around the hurricane to get to Morgan City, Louisiana, and they arrived at 4.20, They now had 40 minutes to get to this street corner. So Deer does exactly what he's told at 5 o'clock. He waits. He waits 10 minutes. He breaks into this dilapidated building. He passes terrifying homeless people and drug addicts, and he goes into this sad little room, and there, on the bed, wearing the same exact clothes he wore when he disappeared, covered in scratches, is James Dallas Egbert III.
1: Wow. Wow. Back to school! Backpack! Lockers! Lockers to hide in! Speaking of school, what's the biggest lesson you ever learned? Hmm, to subscribe to Patreon to help keep this show on the air. I learned that in economics. Ooh, I was sick that day. How do I subscribe? Well, to be one of the cool kids, become one of our Patreon supporters and help keep this show on the air. Head on over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for this was a thing and said a monthly donation even a dollar a month helps us your contributions help continue doing what we're doing good
0: to know well i'm going to subscribe then get a note to get out of pe rob i have moderate to severe plaque psoriasis oh so on the ride home dallas is very quiet and he asks dear do i have to tell my mom everything that happened and dear says no but I'd like to get lunch with you tomorrow. Just the two of us. And everything they talk about will always be kept between them. So the next morning, Deer picks up Dallas for lunch, and Dallas explains what happened. So Dallas felt alone and isolated. Nobody liked him, not even his parents. So he planned on killing himself for nine months to punish his mother and punish everyone else. He went down to the tunnel with some snacks and a blanket and sleeping pills, And decided to die there, but the sleeping pills didn't work. And he woke up incredibly sick. So he crawled out of the tunnel looking for somewhere to go. And he remembered there was a gay man he met, guy in his 20s, and he went to his place. Now, the man was very nervous about having a minor in the home and didn't want to get involved. So he said, I'm not taking you to the hospital. I'm going to keep you here till you feel better. Except the disappearance was now all over the news. And the guy was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not being accused of kidnapping or molestation or anything like that so get out so off dallas went again to another house he got incredibly high and then he got pushed to another house and then another and while he was almost passed out from the drugs he was then dropped off at a third house an old gay man who looked panicked as fuck it was two guys there and they were like what are we doing and they kept him till he got better and then in the middle of the night they knew that shit was going to go down Because it was all, I mean, everyone was looking for this kid. Now, how are you going to explain why is this child drugged and in your house? Remember, this is a time where gay people have, like, no benefit of the doubt. So what these guys decide to do is they give him money. They drive him to a bus station. There's a bus that takes him from Lansing to Chicago. Then he takes the train from Chicago to New Orleans. Deer thinks that they were probably, like, it's easier to get rid of him down there. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. When he gets off the train in New Orleans, he's depressed. He tries to kill himself again by taking cyanide and he fails at that. And he's like, why can't I do anything right? So he has to get some money for a little bit. He becomes aroused about. He works on the oil fields and he was able to stay in this crappy little room in Louisiana. And he kept calling the friends who were like, call anytime if you need anything. And they all say, Dallas, you need to give up. Because a lot of people are going to be in a lot of trouble for helping you. Because now, this whole thing has turned into like a conspiracy. No, yeah. Dallas decides, fine, I'll call Detective Deer. I know he's the one looking for me. And he can come get me. And he ends it all. There are some questions, though, that still remain that you might be wondering about. And Dallas gives the answer. So first of all, why was the room so clean? Yeah. Well, here's what we found out. So his friend Karen, who was the girl that he had, she didn't know he disappeared, disappeared. So she was like, he's been helping me a lot. I'm going to go help him. And what she would do normally to say thanks to him, she would clean his room. So she was the one who cleaned everything. Good friend to have. Okay. So that is checked off. So then Deer says to Dallas, he goes, well, what is the bulletin board Yeah, mean? that was my next one. And he says, and so Dallas is like, yeah, it's shaped like a gun. But it's also the, tu- if you look above it, it's where the tunnels are located in one specific part of this building. It's the outline of a building, and the pushpins are the alcoves in the tunnel. And he's like, if you notice, there's one missing. That's where I was gonna die. Got it. Right? The detective was like, well, what about this suicide note? And he was like, oh, I wrote it with my left hand. He's right-handed.
1: Got it. And then
0: this was the one that just like broke my heart. Deer says to Dallas, he goes, why didn't you tell me where you were on the first phone call? And Dallas said, he didn't know if he wanted to be found. I was like, oh. <laughs> so Dallas and Deer <sighs> made a pact to never reveal to anyone what happened. And the world went on thinking, including his parents, that something had happened to Dallas against his will. And it was too traumatizing to talk about. Therefore, he never talked about it. Deere and Dallas stayed in close contact with each other. They spoke on the phone once a week. Oh well. And Dallas said things were looking up at home because I think his parents were like, "We should probably be nicer to to our son." He transferred to Wright State, but soon his parents, especially his mom, turned back into the people that they were before. Dallas dropped out of school. He moved out, and then on August eleventh, nineteen eighty, Dallas was home alone, and he put a twenty five caliber gun to his head and he pulled the trigger. But like before, he didn't succeed. And he lingered on life support until August 16th, one year and one day after he went missing. And then he died. That's crazy. That's crazy. After the break, it's going to get crazier.
2: This was a thing. This was a thing. Family
1: and now this is a sketch.
0: Thank you for coming back to Michigan, Mr. Deer. When this incident occurred, we knew we could count on you.
1: I just want to find the boy.
0: Same circumstances. Loner disappeared from the dorms into a game. A dangerous game.
1: What kind of a game?
0: This one involves animals. Really hungry animals. What are they called? Not rhinos.
1: Hippos. Yeah. Hippos. Very hungry. So these are hungry, hungry hippos. (laughs) (laughs) What's so funny? (coughs) Nothing.
0: Nothing. And uh, once you solve that, we got another one for you, dear. Woman went missing. Older. Name is Grandma Nut. She's into candy, you know? Nose candy. Sure, nose candy. We think she's where they do a lot of candy. A lot of candy all over. We don't know where you should start to look.
1: I do. I'll go to
0: (laughs) Candyland.
1: Good,
0: Good. Uh, Good. And when you get back, uh, we're really struggling with this one prisoner. He knows who killed Mr. Body, and he won't say... He saw the suspect, won't say nothing.
1: Won't give you a clue? <laughs> What's so funny? Nothing. Nothing. Mm. Bring in the trash, fellas. I ain't saying nothing. I ain't giving anything away about this person. I'll ask the questions here. Is it a man? Yes. Is he bald? Yes. Does he wear a green beret? No. Ah! Are you gonna spend all night making me guess who? <laughs> Oh, very funny. You fell for very, it. You very very funny, it. you jerks. If you need me, I'll be in the sewers.
0: No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Seriously. There's a dismembered girl who washed up on shore. We don't know who she is.
1: Okay. We'll all solve this case and then you'll be saying sorry. <laughs> That was someone's daughter, dear. I know, I just, uh... I don't want you to have a monopoly on all the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good! Uh, That's good! I'm fitting in now. <laughs> okay, someone show me the body.
0: Thank you. This was a sketch. D&D was now part of what was being known as the satanic panic craze that was being led by the religious right, and now there was a dead body to show proof of why it was so dangerous. All anybody latched onto in this, it wasn't about this this poor child's, I think abuse of home, verbally abuse of home. The meanness of his peers, his inability to fit in, and he's struggling with his sexuality. So there's so many, I think if anything, the Dungeons and Dragons was probably the only place where the kid was the happiest, because he wasn't himself. Yeah. But everybody jumps onto this, and this is gonna lay the foundation of Dungeons and Dragons is an evil game. Now, one of the things that's really cool is next week... Ray is covering the satanic panic. So it's kind of like, this will be a, a so you listen to this one first, then you go over to listen to what happens to all of it. It's our first two-parter. It's a two-parter. So I'm going to give you some information though on some stuff concluding with this case, if that's okay. So the big thing that people remember, I'm sure, is in 1980, there was a book by Rona Jaffe called Mazes and Monsters. And it was loosely, so loosely, based on Dallas's case. But because the book was so popular, this was a very popular book at the time, people assumed this is the Dallas Egbert case. So they started to conflate the book with the actual case, which were two totally separate things. It became a movie in 1982, and it starred a very young Tom Hanks. This is my favorite scene from the movie. This is Tom Hanks as a kid who's gone crazy from what's it called, Mazes and Monsters. And he's on top of a roof and his friends come to rescue him.
2: Going to join the Great Hall. You can't, it's a trap. I have spells. I'm going to fly. You don't have enough points. I am the Maze Controller. Maze
1: Maze controller? Yes. And I have absolute authority in this game.
0: Two-time Oscar winner, Tom Hanks. And it seemed parents could then use Dungeons and Dragons now as an excuse for tragedy in their life. Like this woman. I f- oh, God, I feel so. All right. I feel bad for what happened to this woman, but I don't like this woman. Her name is Pat Pullings. And in 1982, her son Irving killed himself. He found his dad's gun. He was like 14 years old. He found his dad's gun and shot himself through the heart in the lawn of his parents' house. So the parents came home, they had to find them, and it's horrible. Now, Irving had lots of mental health issues, but on the day he died, he played Dungeons & Dragons at school. So Pat, the mom, decided to sue the principal oh my for letting the students play Dungeons & Dragons. Dragons. This is Pat
2: on 60 Minutes. Things. We went into the kitchen, and there on the table were... what we thought were just regular composition books with schoolwork in it and much of the Dungeons and Dragons material along with this curse he had received in the game that day that he died the curse that was placed on Binks D&D character began your soul is mine I choose the time in a letter that he left Binks said he had been summoned to kill himself because he was evil it was obvious through his writings that he felt He had assumed this character, but what I couldn't get into my mind was, is it possible? How could anybody do that? How could a 16-year-old that is smart, intelligent, why would they believe that they were something in a game, and why would they kill themselves because somebody else said to do it?
0: Then, Gary Gygax, who invented Dungeons & Dragons, they had him on this 60 Minutes episode. Here's what he said, which I really, really, really liked. And then you'll hear her rebuttal to this.
2: This is make-believe, and nobody's murdered, and there's no violence there. I mean, uh, to, to u- use an analogy with another game, who is bankrupted by losing a game of Monopoly? Nobody is, because the money is make-believe, the property is make-believe, and the bankruptcy is make-believe. It is not like Monopoly. There is no board. It is role-playing, which is typically used for behavior modification. If you're using behavior modification and you are doing violent roles and you're doing negative roles continuously, these children not only begin to have violent dreams or violent thoughts or negative, depressing type things, they become very much a part of this character.
0: Okay, I'm going to say this and I feel bad. I'm sorry. I feel very bad for the tragedy that happened to the Pullings family. This mother, first of all, a couple of things how did your son get your gun? That's number one. Yeah. Number two is, oh, we hadn't even heard of Dungeons and Dragons till he died. He's your son. What bothered me about the way she spoke, she sounded like a therapist or somebody not related to the situation talking about the situation. Well, it's,
1: when she said behavior modification, it almost seemed like that she didn't know what that was until this happened and then she could have all this ammunition yeah. in her back pocket to say, well, behavior modification. We're even pat pulling. You know, didn't know that before.
0: And, and the I, you know, I'm going to say this. I think there's also probably for her. If he killed himself because there was something mentally unstable, I bet you she goes. It reflects badly on me, so I'm not going to do that. It's going to be about these other yeah. about, the, about this game. She, Pat, formed BAD, B-A-D-D, that's Bothered About Dungeons & Dragons, to tell the world how bad Dungeons & Dragons is. And she wrote a book, and she told people that Dungeons & Dragons is a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, and other teachings. Mom said, hey, there's some signs you can watch out for to see if your kids are getting sucked into the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Here are the telltale signs of corruption, Harold Hill. They start robbing graves. That's what she said. Oh my god. Did you know that? No. Robbing graves, drinking blood, signing death packs. (laughs) Keep an eye out. What? As the popularity of Dungeons & Dragons and other role-playing games increased, she she was like, I'm going to censor what's on television. I'm going to censor this. I'm going to censor that. Then, at this time, they had psychiatrists weigh in and the psychiatrists had no idea what the hell they were talking about. Here's the other psychiatrist from 60 Minutes.
2: Dr. Thomas Rodecki is a psychiatrist who teaches at the University of Illinois Medical School and who is chairman of the National Coalition on Television Violence. He has been studying the game for several years and says there are 28 deaths related to Dungeons and Dragons in the last five years. And some of those, it was clearly the decisive element. and other ones, it was just a major element in the thinking of the people at the time they committed suicide or, or murder. It's not coincidence. Not when you have careful documentation, you have careful notes, you have eyewitnesses. For instance, one case, the parents were actually saw their child summon uh, Dungeons & Dragons demons into his room before he killed himself. So how do you combat
0: all of this? Well, Dungeons & Dragons was smart. They hired Dr. Joyce Brothers. Here she is. Explaining to people, hey, this is fine. Everyone calm the fuck down.
2: There is good and evil in life. And the way Dungeons and Dragons is set up is that good triumphs over evil.
1: I feel like this is like the original critical race theory debate where people are just like saying like people without having any knowledge of what it's actually about and just going after like the hot button issues. And I'm not saying that Dungeon and Dragon and critical race theory are the same thing, but just the way that they're being approached. People talking about something they have no idea about. And saying, well, here's the page numbers that say this. And they have these examples, but the example like the example that guys were giving were just page numbers for in-game spells. In game spells, nothing to do. I don't know. It's just, it's insane to me.
0: What I think is really, really interesting is that, first of all, if you look at Dungeons and Dragons, it's about good people defeating evil.
1: No, yeah. I thought that was interesting too.
0: Which is kind of what religion is supposed to be. And also when he was like, and they get teachings from a book. And I'm like, the Bible? But when good is defeating evil and it's not biblical stories, they don't know what to do. So all people know is Dungeons and Dragons is it's the game that killed the kid. Then in 1988, the, there's something called the Dungeons and Dragons Murders. It was a guy who had money. And so the his stepson killed him. And the group of friends that killed him, like they, they met each other. They all played Dungeons and Dragons. But it was about getting a guy's inheritance. It had nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. Then in 1995, there was a theory that maybe the guy who invented Dungeons and Dragons was the Unabomber. Today, it's interesting to note that Dungeons and Dragons is now used in some high schools as a therapeutic class for students that have behavioral issues because it sends them on an adventure, but only if they can work together with their fellow friends. Now, had deer not recommended that Dungeons & Dragons was the cause, that maybe this panic wouldn't have happened at such magnitude. I'm sure people would have complained about it. There, but, there would have been some news story. But like right at the beginning, you can say, oh, look. So in 1984, he published a book called The Dungeon Master, which was the telling of the story. I knew nothing about this case at all until I went down to Florida and they have a gay and lesbian library in Florida and any book that has like any sort of queer element is in the library. So I was just walking up and down and I went to the true crime section and this thing said Dungeon Master. And I was like I thought it was going to be about Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> and it wasn't. And I was like this is I how have I never heard of this case. So anyway, the book is called Dungeon Master. The question I think that came up was, didn't you promise this kid? I was curious about that. You weren't going to say anything. His rationale was, look, a couple of things. One, the kid's dead. Two, it's been long enough. It was like five years or something, four years. And I want people to know that even though we thought Dungeons and Dragons was a part of it, as you can see, it had nothing at all to do with his murder. It had to do with the fact that he had mental health issues and he had really bad parents. I thought what was really interesting though, a really interesting way of explaining what Dungeons and Dragons can do, is this gentleman, his name is Juno Diaz and he's a writer. He grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and uh, I think it'll be good to hear what he has to say. People were
1: bananas. My mom moral panic. She was way more worried of us getting shanked, you know, or getting caught up in some nonsense. We helped each other without even knowing it, man. I learned an enormous amount about what it meant to be courageous and what it meant to be passionate and the kind of moral, hard moral choices that one needs to make in real life in this kind of fake sort of imagined plane of action.
0: Ah, but don't forget, folks, it's easier to blame something else than to blame yourself
1: Mm -hmm. or your
0: actions. Ineffective parents who are unable to confront their own failings or their children's need for mental health assistance, though it was easier to blame D&D And then as time went on, it became Rap Music did this. Marilyn Manson, Grand Theft Auto. Beavis and Butthead did this. South Park did this. Jackass did this. Video games did this. And the list goes on and on and on. But parents might not have been so sure of their desire to place the blame on anyone but themselves had it not been for one sad little boy who decided to disappear one day in 1979. And that's the story of James Dallas Egbert III, the Dungeon Master. May his memory be a blessing. You want to play a game? Yeah. Great. Let's go down to the tunnels.
3: This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz.
1: With Mark Schroeder.
0: Mark, did you have any idea about the case of James Dallas Egbert and the Dungeon Master before you just heard me prattle on about it? I think it's an amazing true crime.
3: No, I thankfully I was uh, unaware early in life, but I love hearing about uh, real-life atrocities anytime I can, <laughs> right? Yeah. Amen. Do you know the thing about dungeons? I, I we don't have them anymore. <laughs> what a segue!
0: <laughs> you know the thing about
3: dungeons. <laughs> <laughs> well, my office. Uh, oh, sir, this is the best part. We don't have them. We don't have dungeons anymore. We do not. We've got prisons, which are not oh, nearly as. Yeah terrifying as dungeons. Eh. If, you send, if you send somebody to a dungeon, they would learn their lesson. Absolutely. But there's plenty of folks who have spent time in a big house that you wish they could spend time in a dungeon. And we're going to find out some famous folks who have spent time in a big house with a little game called Locked Away. Ooh. So you guys are going to work together on this game. I'm going to read you 10 clues. Do we have to stay cuffed together? Yeah, you guys have to be. <laughs> oh boy. This is a chain gang to I answer go to the these bathroom. questions. No, right. This is celebrities in jail trivia. So I'm going to give you clues in the form of what they were convicted for, the sentence, and the date. And you're going to tell me the celebrity that it happened to. Okay. Wire and mail fraud. Two months. August twenty
0: twenty. Oh, I bet you Lori Laughlin or Felicity Huffman. I bet that feels like the one of the emission scandals. Emission scandal? Yes, you said Lori Laughlin. It nice. was Laurie Laughlin okay.
3: one for one. Draft evasion, five years, June nineteen sixty seven.
0: Did they serve time? Like when you say they were sentenced, they were sentenced, but not
3: necessarily served. Not time. necessarily served. This was the sentence, or it was a shorter sentence. This person dodged the draft. Dodged the draft in June 1967, and they were sentenced to five years. And uh, something was revoked from them. I'll give you an extra hint. They something was they Their were stripped of a they were stripped of a title. Oh, they were stripped of a title. I have no idea. Time has expired, and this is a uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, Muhammad oh. Ali. Famous draft dodger, five years, stripped of his boxing title as a heavyweight champion of the world for refusing to go to Vietnam. I don't know. Wow. For Refusing. And a, a hero he was. You could have also said Cassius Clay, and I would have said, he's my fucking Muhammad Ali man. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Second degree murder, April 2009, 19 years to life. The, the guy, the
0: the rock singer. The, he's, the, he's the rock producer. He oh, Phil Spector? Phil Spector. Phil
3: Spector is correct. He killed Lana Clarkson in 2003. Two for three. Felony assault, 1988, two years. Mike Tyson? James Brown. Oh, who did you say, Mike Tyson? That makes sense. Mark Wahlberg. Oh, Mark yeah. Wahlberg. that asshole. Yeah, look up that. Real piece of shit. Felony drug trafficking, 1978, three to seven years. Paul McCartney? tim allen Ah. Oh. possession of child pornography and soliciting for sex with underage girls november 2015 jared fogel from subway jared fogel didn't even need the sentence you've got the book behind you the poster and the sandwich you know for a fact <laughs> look how do you think i lost this weight <laughs> running from the cops <laughs> that's uh three for six so far rape 1991 six years in prison plus four years probation mike tyson that is mike tyson Possession of cocaine, heroin, and an unloaded 357 Magnum speeding down Sunset Boulevard, repeatedly missing court order drug test appointments.
1: 1997.
3: Oh, Robert Downey Jr.? Robert Downey Jr. Oh, <laughs> Robert. Iron Man. You just want to see the Shenyun posters. <laughs> Willful failure to file federal income tax returns from 1999 to 2004. Sentenced in April 2008. Wesley Snipes? No. Wesley Snipes yeah? is correct. Oh, wow. Okay. Three counts of aggravated indecent assault. April 2018, three to five years. 2018? Three counts of aggravated indecent assault. Bill Cosby? It is Bill Cosby. Nice. That is correct. You guys got Lori Laughlin, You didn't get Muhammad Ali. You got Phil Spector. You didn't get Mark Wahlberg. You didn't get Tim Allen. You got Jared Fogle, Mike Tyson, Robert Downey Jr., Wesley Snipes, Bill... Cosby, you got 7 out of 10. Congratulations. Nice job. You know your creeps, guys. That
1: still got me through college. Hey, takes one to know one, you know?
3: (laughs) Where are they taking you? Where are they taking
1: him? I
0: gotta go. (laughs) Ray. Thank you so much for thank you so uh, much. working so well
1: together as a team. I, I love this. That's why Guys, I got these If you want to see more
0: teamwork in action, Mark, thank you for providing a wonderful game. Don't forget you can hire Mark for your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your funeral, memorial service, quinceañera. And if you're living up in Canada, don't forget Flag and Boxing Day. Pretty big days for Mark, so you want big to get them day. early. Book
1: me. Right? Where can people find us? Instagram.com at this was a thing. Instagram.com. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Or the app. The app. Or I mean you can you can get it on the website. You can uh, on your PC. Or also on your PC or your phone, this was a thing.com. Or go out and patreon.com slash this was a thing. Uh five dollars a month old Lucy level gets you exclusive content you don't want to miss. Trust me, you you don't want to miss you this. you really don't. You don't, don't want to miss this stuff. All
0: right, friends. We'll see you next time. Bye
1: thanks for listening to this was a thing and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg. Our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese. Our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford. Our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic, Desavia, Savia. And finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ThisWasAThingPod and Facebook we are ThisWasAThingPodcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you.